0: Between the 13th and 25th of September, 1952, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, carried out the largest peacetime military exercise since World War II. These maneuvers, which involved over 200 ships, 1,000 planes, and 80,000 military personnel from multiple NATO countries, were designed to simulate a NATO response to a possible Soviet attack on Europe. During this large-scale military exercise, several highly trained military officers on board various vessels witnessed unexplained lights and crafts in the sky as well as the ocean around them for a two-week period of time. This is Fright Life. A Paranormal Podcast, and on this episode, we will discuss Operation Mainbrace and Unidentified Submerged Objects. The first sighting occurred on day one of the operation. A triangular craft was spotted moving at a projected 900 miles per hour. Lieutenant Commander Schmidt observed the unidentified craft emitting a blue light and flying by at an uncanny speed as he watched from his Danish destroyer. A few days later, Wallace Litwin, an American news reporter on board the USS Franklin Delano Roosevelt noticed excitement on deck. Flight crew members were in an uproar as they pointed out a silver sphere which seemed to be following the fleet. Litwin, a reporter, thought quickly and snapped four photos of the object. Though he was a skeptic and assumed the object was a weather balloon, he was later told by the ship's executive officer that no weather balloons were released that day. Another sighting occurred September 19th, when British Meteor Fighter Jet was returning from Top Cliff Airfield following their exercise over the North Sea, and officers spotted a silvery object flying above the jet alongside its same trajectory. Some thought a piece had broken from the jet until the object stopped mid-air, rotated on its axis, and disappeared toward the horizon. Royal Air Force Flight Lieutenant John Kilburn reported, I have never seen such a phenomenon before. The movement of the object was not identifiable with anything I had seen in the air. Clusters of sightings out at sea were occurring with some regularity but some began to observe objects descend into or emerge from the water around them. On October 24, 1966, near the area where Operation Mainbrace had been carried out over a decade earlier, sonar technicians on board a minesweeper vessel picked up a sonar hit. A massive object loomed below their vessel. The object held its position for 15 minutes before suddenly breaking through the surface of the water and diving back into the sea. Believing they were under attack, the crew responded defensively, firing at the object to no avail. The craft displayed advanced speed and maneuverability before disappearing beneath the water. USO, or Unidentified Submerged Objects. Like their aerial counterpart, these elusive craft are being reported by highly trained military personnel, and could pose a major threat. At this point, it's less about if UAP or USO are real, and more about where they come from. Why are they here? And what exactly are they doing? Is alien spacecraft maneuvering through and hiding out in our vast oceans?
1: Hey, welcome to Fright Life. We're your hosts, Joss and Monique. Hello. And on this episode, we are discussing unidentified submerged objects, which is just so cool. I love all things UFOs and extraterrestrials, and this is a neat kind of variant of UFOs that I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. So I'm excited to break this down a little bit and kind of share what we found.
0: Yeah. So, so far we've been really focused on UAP, like as a people. And right now it's being questioned and talked about in mainstream media, which is fascinating and exciting. And now I don't know if USOs or unidentified submerged or submersive objects have been kind of left behind in the conversation or just categorized within the rest of it. Because some of these that we're discussing and that I mentioned in the intro were sort of just in and around and in close proximity to naval operations like Mm -hmm. just above the water right some of them are aerial and then dive into the sea yeah and so many sightings all over the world are like vibrating lights that then shoot up from the sea so really it's just do we categorize it separately or or is it the same thing right
1: yeah i remember hearing all kinds of stories about like campers and stuff, seeing UAP coming up out of large bodies of water, like lakes, Mm -hmm. you know, while they're camping. And it always kind of sparks that question, like, what are they doing down there? Like, what are they doing under the water? So that's definitely something that we'll talk about later for sure. But um, yeah, you're right. It's never been like its own separate thing to consider.
0: Right. And there are a lot of clusters of these sightings um, around the world, like I mentioned. But what got us, what led us to the Operation um, or Exercise Main Brace Mm -hmm. was we were originally looking into ghost rockets. Yeah. And that is something that was witnessed in Sweden in 1947, where dozens well, really hundreds of accounts of dozens of rocket-shaped or cigar-shaped objects were flying through the sky and dropping into the Baltic. Yeah. Now, these were called ghost rockets, and and some say they were just a military exercise. Sure. But a lot of people observed that these seemed to be intelligently controlled.
1: Yeah. That was a big thing, uh, changing directions mid-flight and also appearing to not have any sort of wings or, like,
0: right, guidance, they were
1: appendages of any sort.
0: They were missile-shaped, essentially. Yeah. And this was, you know, right after World War II. Some say that they resembled the Nazi V-1, V-2 rockets mm-hmm. or missiles, which, of course, weren't necessarily things that would be flying like multiple at a time in tandem with one another and under intelligent control right right and then they would have had some sort of impact
1: well the thing that's kind of interesting about that is that these were the very first early iterations of guided missiles
0: the nazi v1
1: right correct um, but when people talk about these ghost rockets, they're saying that they were performing, like, weird aerial maneuvers.
0: Yeah, and sometimes in tandem. Yeah. And that they would go into the water and back
1: out of the water. Right. And I don't
0: think that was happening at the time.
1: Yeah, I don't... And then
0: they were designed to what, then, have that impact that I mentioned?
1: Right, yeah, They they'd be guided to a target... With the intention of destroying that target, right? right?
0: And this wasn't happening yeah. in Sweden, right? So that's and why they're called the ghost rockets, I think, because nothing ever came of these rockets flying through the sky,
1: right? Exactly. So they're, they're like w- phantom when they would go to recover debris, they would find nothing, right? No recovered materials at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, there have been people who have tried to debunk this saying that the Missiles could have been made of some kind of composite material that disintegrated on impact or uh, due to heat or whatever, you know, trying to kind of...
0: Like before? Because impact would need an impact.
1: Right, exactly. Or an explosion of some sort. Right, and these people
0: watching these things would definitely have reported the impact portion of this.
1: So that's what doesn't quite line up about these ghost rockets...
0: Well, and then if you take into account decades of sightings mm-hmm. in and around the Baltic Sea.
1: Yeah, right in that same area. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of, could be possibly a USO based on the fact that they're kind of
0: dropping, in dropping
1: into the water and yeah. then there would be nothing. Right. So that's cool.
0: So then when only a handful of years later, this huge military operation is taking place near there and they witness the aerial phenomena and then later more people witness it and it's closer and closer to the water and then interacting in and out of the water and all with military personnel.
1: Yeah, who are credible witnesses. Right. Trained observers, right? And then you have this... Guy taking pictures, mm-hmm. and they were said to be four color photographs of this object, right?
0: Yes, and you're talking about Wallace Litwin, who was on board the USS Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yes, yeah. During the Operation
1: Mainbrace. Yeah, like okay. you, from your uh, your intro mm-hmm. thing. Um, what we didn't cover in the intro, is that his camera was confiscated by military personnel. Oh. And so these pictures never made it, you know, into the public. But he does describe them as being a ping pong ball looking object in the sky.
0: Yeah, like just overhead.
1: Yes. Which kind of reminds me of the Tic Tac if you're looking at it head on. Right, mm-hmm. the TikTok, or t- gosh, TikTok, Tac um, that we have video footage of. Right. From Dave Fravor.
0: Yes. And we'll get into this a little more later, but yeah. that also had some USO. Yes, it did. Qualities. This is so exciting. I love this. Yeah, and aside from this news reporter who took the photos, several other groups of people during this military operation... Mm-hmm literally witnessed similar things taking place. And actually, the Royal Air Force fleet, who witnessed one of these happenings Mm -hmm. that I mentioned in the narrative, um, is credited for sort of getting, like, piquing the interest of the UK government officials to look into UFOs at the time.
1: Well, that's kind of cool because Litwin was on a U.S. naval ship, and then there's also interaction from the Royal Air Force. Right. So there's multiple countries Mm -hmm. witnessing this phenomenon. Right. Which is awesome. That's even more, I don't know, corroboration, I guess. Right. But what we have found out through research and history is that, uh, other countries are not as like hush, hush. Yeah. about their UFO experiences.
0: Right. And a, here's a little snippet. It looks like maybe a telegram or a memo, like a brief memo note from Winston Churchill Ooh. that says, what does all this stuff about flying saucers amount to? What can it mean? What is the truth? Let me have a report at your convenience.
1: What is the truth, indeed, Mr. Winston Churchill? Churchill. <laughs> so, the UAP, UFO, USO topic has been on the minds of everyone, including Winston Churchill. Right. For so long.
0: Yeah. So, in this general area, we've got the ghost rockets, mm-hmm. 1946. And then the Operation Mainbrace, multiple sightings that are all called different things in September of 1952. Yep. And then in the same or nearby area in October of 1966, that's where the sonar technicians were on the minesweeper vessel and they caught an object coming up from the water.
1: Yeah. Um, and a minesweeper vessel, just to be clear is like that's a submarine right so it's like specifically positioned under the water oh, sonar I have no idea. is is it yeah i okay. think so <laughs> uh and sonar is specific detection it's equipment.
0: radar but for underwater right
1: yeah so these guys are looking for things under the water and they fucking find something right like crazy and it's Moving incredibly fast.
0: And they shoot at it. Yeah. Like, you're not just going to shoot at things randomly if you don't think that you're in danger.
1: Yeah, for sure. It was headed right for them. Going incredibly fast.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: And one of the things that comes to mind regarding the technical abilities of these crafts, where they're like almost phasing in and out of our dimension or our reality and that's why the submarine wasn't able to make any positive impacts with their weaponry
0: and that it like suddenly appears and it's just right there underneath them
1: yeah and it's not affected by like the friction of the water like there's only so fast that you can move through water with known technology because of the way that physics work that but, is so
0: interesting that you said that because in a lot of these cases, um not just near like the Baltic sea area mm-hmm. um, but also in like Catalina Island with the the Nimitz incident yeah um, these craft don't interact with water the same way, even coming in and out of them yeah they it make or in and out of it. it makes no splash or. Yeah. Or splash as it comes up Yeah. Or, it or goes in. There's no, it's usually like a ripple or like a weird displacement around it, but not how we would assume a large item or object dropping rapidly into the ocean would or out of the ocean would look.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh totally mind boggling. And
0: it's consistent throughout. I mean, from even these sightings in the, 60s
1: Exactly. And including the ghost rockets. Mm -hmm. They were saying they went into the ocean, but there was no impact or...
0: Like disturbance.
1: Yeah. And then...
0: That's crazy. Very cool. Yeah. So another sighting. This one is controversial, and this sort of is what slightly delayed our recording of this is right. because I tried to really get to the bottom of it, and it seems to be split pretty down the middle. Yeah. Um, in 1971, or according to some of my research, it took place in 1977, so that's one thing. Okay. Um, it's reported that Officer John Kaluka was on board a nuclear attack submarine called the USS Trapang when he spotted something unbelievable through the periscope. It is said that he looked out and saw an enormous triangular craft hovering above the water. Apparently, Kaluka grabbed a camera and snapped a series of photos. The photos depict the large craft, um, basically triangular but sort of rounded off edges, Mm -hmm. uh, hovering over the sea, maneuvering around basically there's one where it's like you can tell it's triangular there's one where it's like parallel to the water line Mm -hmm. and then one where it flips and is vertical ready to dive into the water yeah and he says he sees it or the reports say he saw it dive into the water the photos are insane yes some say they're faked i instinctively feel like I'm in that camp. Yeah. Here's why. Can I tell you why? Yeah. Or do you want to... No, go. ...dissect them further first? Okay. They're very clear. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean, like, camera technology of the time. Yeah. I mean, if this thing is moving and maneuvering around, and then diving, like, at crazy speeds and maneuverability... Yeah. It, the photos would suggest that it hovered, slowly turned around and posed for the camera, slowly made itself vertical to dive in. There is no motion blur in
1: these photos. That's, yeah, that's true.
0: They're very, like, still. And I don't, I'm not an expert in this. I do not think that that has to mean I'm, I'm right, but it does seem suspicious that they're very still photos of this object like i can't even take a picture of potter with my brand new iphone our dachshund (laughs) if he's not like perfectly still or it's gonna blur right and this guy is in a submarine camera to a periscope fully clear like high definition edged images Of this craft in multiple positions before splashing into the ocean. Right. I don't love this. I mean, the pictures are haunting. It would be so cool if they were real.
1: Incredible. Yeah. And I'm... (sighs) I want it to be real. So do I. And maybe,
0: maybe they are.
1: They're super not. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I, I... I needed to find more information about this and i did a bunch of digging and you know there's reddit forums that go on for days people going back and forth well it could be this and they're trying to debunk it as like there's a phenomenon that happens where if you're looking at the ocean and there's hot and cold or warm and cold air hovering just above the surface it can be kind of a mirage type situation and
0: that came up in the betty and barney hill case
1: yeah The problem with that is it leaves a hard edge on the bottom of the object. And these pictures very clearly have, like, details Mm -hmm. on the bottom. So it kind of debunks that. But, upon further... I was like, yes, that's true. It can't be that. These have to be real. But then I did some more digging. And it turns out that the photographs are real. But they are not of a UFO. They were actually pictures taken of a like missile test mm-hmm. and in the, in the real photographs there's like water explosion happening mm-hmm. and there's a documentary or like a short film that was made back in 2008 um, that is sort of a it's kind of like poking fun at how easy it is to manipulate the media. Okay. And this guy, uh, amongst other sort of doctored incidents or images, Mm -hmm. not necessarily UFO related, um, put together these four photographs. Okay. And like photoshopped.
0: Well, they didn't get it past me.
1: They sure didn't. You called it right away. And at, at the very beginning, I was like, well, okay, but if he's got a periscope and it's focused on a certain distance and then he grabs a... You know, a, a camera that has a set focal length, and he's taking pictures, and he clicks one, and, and the craft it. is
0: slow motion rotating. Right?
1: Yeah, I, I just, oh, I wanted to believe it so bad because the pictures are, like you said, they're, they're terrifying if they had been real. Okay. And they're close enough because usually I can spot a fake, like Photoshop thing, like pretty instantly. But these look pretty fucking good. They look cool, for sure.
0: Now, basically, nothing happened. So it's not as if this guy reported seeing things and then someone wanted to, like, add on to the story by making fake photographs to back up his story. Mm -hmm. There's no story. Yeah. Nothing happened.
1: It was a routine. On the
0: trepang reported by Officer John Kaluka.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: See, and that's what I thought. And we had a whole segment on it as if we were reporting on a... Backed historical event. Well, what's... And that's why I was like, stop the presses. This is not
1: correct. Yeah. So. And what's interesting is there are a couple of different, like, documentary type things that we've watched that mention this as fact.
0: That is what drives me insane. And it's... Because none of, I mean, we're still speculating. These are theories. These are... You know, technically, not fact in the general sense, like of everyone agreeing that this has occurred. But then you get into the down the rabbit hole of like, what does that really mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like, history is written by who, and when do we know that it's?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, fact and from what
0: perspective, (laughs) and from. But, I at least like to fact check historical events, Mm -hmm. and if things are really reported. Obviously, we're not in the business of only reporting on things that 100% have happened. This is a paranormal podcast. That's not always right. going to be fathomable. And some things we report on are highly theoretical or only from firsthand accounts that we just need to decide who's credible and whose short stories we want to promote. Yeah. Um, or, you know, perpetuate or put out there. hmm Um, but I definitely don't want fault, completely false narratives and then to, you know, tout them as if they are historical.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is exactly, this is the shit that drives me nuts about the paranormal realm in general is you have so many things on, you know, YouTube and Instagram and TikTok that are like, oh, my house is haunted. And it's like. You can't see the line, but there's very clearly... Somebody's just pulling fishing line to open and close cupboard doors. Yeah, you know? or
0: faked UFO videos. Yeah. When it's like... Especially with all this AI stuff yeah. and how easy it is to get your hands on the technology Mm-mm. to make excellent fakes. Yeah. um, Which is horrifying, really.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've got a friend that sends me paranormal stuff that he finds and he's like dude this is crazy is it real like he'll ask me to like check in on it and find out you know if it's it's a real thing and um man he sent me one the other day that was a ufo related thing and it it looked real good but it's you
0: know what though our instincts can really say a lot yeah i can usually feel if something is yes And it's not really about how great quality it can come across. Mm -hmm. It's like you look at the other things, like if there are people in the video, what are their reactions? Like, how is this thing in whatever's in it, you know, be it a fake UFO or whatever, interacting with the atmosphere around it? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of different things. But that's not to say that because this story about the Trepang. Is fake that the rest of this just gets tossed out because that's another frustrating thing that happens. Um, You know, there's still a lot to this area, and there are a lot of things that have been historically documented and backed by reports. A lot of the reports are still classified, but that also says something. Yeah. Right? And here's another one (laughs) Uh, another controversial.
1: Topic. Okay, yeah, let's in go.
0: In the Baltic. In 2011, Swedish sea explorers searching for shipwrecks, um, specifically a cargo of, a lost cargo of champagne.
1: Delicious.
0: Came across an object 200 feet in diameter, a rock-like structure at the bottom of the sea known as the Baltic Sea Anomaly. Um, this is another one I'm highly skeptical of, but it's interesting. And if you have not seen photos of this, I guess uh, they're not photos, but renderings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of this anomaly, it is a large structure that people, some people and ufologists think is like a vessel at the bottom of the sea. hmm It looks, the reason I'm skeptical of it is because it looks exactly like the fucking Millennium Falcon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like,
0: exactly. Yeah. And it's like, that's just too good. Can you imagine? It just. I can. (laughs) The Millennium Falcon is just exactly (laughs) what UFOs, like they're just a fleet of that type of ship out there.
1: Yeah, but here's why this is so compelling. And it. I love it because it's, A, in the ocean, and I love the whole thing that it just gets repeated over and over again. It's like, well, we know less about the ocean than we do about the surface of Mars. You know, it's like, that's, they all say that over and over again. Right, But it's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, you can't get down deep enough to get at this thing.
0: It's not even all the depths necessarily. Just, you know. um. But yeah, this thing is down there looking like the Millennium Falcon had yeah. just crashed into the sea. There's right. even like markings.
1: That's what I was going to say.
0: Leading up to where it's resting.
1: Yeah, it's like in it almost trench. looks like a, a debris field. Yeah. Because they have um, LIDAR mm-hmm. renderings of this thing, and it picks up the, the basic shape, and it picks up that there's like a groove. In the ocean floor behind it, and then there's like speckled things,
0: like a skid marking from a crash, and then it is just there, sort of hovering off the edge of this trench, Mm
1: -hmm. and it's like perfectly round in the back, and then the front has these two fork things that look like the Millennium Falcon, but they're very precise. Like hard angles. So right. they and don't And there are carvings
0: seem- and etchings along it that yeah. don't seem natural yeah. man made. But then there are astounding rock structures. Sure. Like it's not impossible for it to be a natural occurrence. Yeah. There are fabulous naturally occurring rock formations and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the issue is this thing looks to be made of rock, of stone. Right. So how some UFOlogists who believe this to be a craft claim that maybe it was some sort of craft that was somehow biological mm-hmm. and then petrified. Yeah. Like, petrified trees mm-hmm. are basically now stone, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so that sort of thing.
1: The other theory is, like, sea life attaching itself to it. Like, if you look at a shipwreck so or something It's that covered, sense, covered right. in, like, barnacles or whatever, yeah. like... It kind of gets Crustified. absorbed, yeah, yeah, into the ocean. Um, yeah, but that's a cool one. Um, we just and can't it's in get... that
0: that area. Sorry,
1: yeah, it's in the Baltic near Sweden. Yep, fascinating. Yeah, just can't get down there to actually like knock on it, you know, right? To find out what it's made of if it is resonates. S- at is all.
0: anybody in here? Hello? Yeah, but it's so interesting, and that leads us to this sort of like, what is happening? Under there, If we're seeing all of these things in this concentrated area, I mentioned Catalina Island, mm-hmm. which, you know, off the coast of San Diego area with the Nimitz, um, because besides that encounter, there are a lot of reports of objects over and into the water yeah. in that area. Another one is Cuba, and some say that there's like an actual, uh, what's it called?
1: Landing... Yeah, strips. yeah, mm-hmm.
0: under the water yeah. near Cuba, um, and a lot of lights seen in and out of the waters near, near there. Yeah, um, Florida is a big one as well, and we are going to get into an incident that took place that it has to do with this um, in Florida, but we're going to save it for its own
1: episode. Yeah, there's like a major one that has a ton of facets to it. Yeah, um, the one thing that I just want to pose as a question to you is if these objects are cruising into the ocean and coming out of the ocean are they then heading to a specific facility or...
0: Okay. So if it's not extraterrestrial or maybe even if it's if it is in the Bahamas, mm-hmm. lies the Atlantic Undersea Test and Evaluation Center. It's a United States Naval laboratory called Autec. and it's literally an undersea naval.
1: It's a sea laboratory. Lab. Yeah. It's we have a sea lab. Yeah. It's down, it's down there. At They're least just doing one science down there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> That's awesome. I know. Okay. So you mentioned that they they could be extraterrestrials with like bases down there. Mm-hmm. But what if they're just like super terrestrial? Like they were here first, aquatic beings that just inhabit the ocean. hmm and, and they
0: just have like a whole city down there? Yeah. Like the Gungans?
1: Exactly, like the Gungans. Yeah, <laughs> I mean <laughs> that would be fun. The that that um, sort of dynamic in Star Wars: The Phantom Menace, where you have the planet Naboo, and there are the human Naboo people, yeah, and the Gungans beneath
0: the lake,
1: yeah, yeah, in the in the the oceans. Uh, you know, they they coexist on that planet, and uh, and they have the
0: craft where you just can. Make a splash down into Uh there and travel down into the Gungan city.
1: And they they travel through the planet core Mm -hmm. to get to, you know, the other side of the planet.
0: You think that's what's happening down there?
1: Yeah, that's I do, actually.
0: Okay, so what about the craft that only, like, dips down for a second? And this is what got me thinking. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking less Gungan activity, more is the water some sort of conduit? Yeah. To travel, like, interdimensionally mm-hmm. or recharge their ship or, like, phase through existences. Man.
1: Yeah. Okay, so... And
0: you know what I mean? Yes. With, like, that whole, like, idea of superhighways of all these crafts through the water. Yeah. More like they just need the water to do something.
1: Well, they're... Okay, so there are a lot of theories about if extraterrestrials were to come to Earth... Why? And a big one is because we have liquid water on our planet.
0: Right. And that's the whole thing. That's what we're searching for in the cosmos to see if there are any more habitable planets. It's Mm -hmm. the key to life is water.
1: Could also be the key to interstellar travel. Right. And they're just like swinging by to fill up their tank real quick. Right. And they can plunge into the ocean and open the the water hatch, Mm -hmm. suck in a bunch of water, and then... Dip out again.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. That was three st- theories right there. We've got the Gungan theory.
1: That's my favorite one.
0: The water as a conduit to travel mm-hmm. interdimensionally or phase in and out. Yeah. Right? Um, and then them just collecting water as a natural, as a resource yeah. from our planet. And taking it elsewhere.
1: Interesting. I think, I think we're onto something here.
0: With any of the three.
1: All three of them could be at the same time. Right. Um, I mean, that's really the fueling one is not that far fetched. There's tons of recently uh, released videos, supposedly, from like NASA filming the sun, and there's a like cube object. Have you seen this? No. Where it's like pulling a solar flare into it from the sun. There's like a very clear, dark... Oh, you think
0: so, like energizing itself?
1: Yeah. Could be the same kind of deal where these craft are coming down to Earth to just...
0: Pull resources. Yeah. Um, And then the kind of phasing idea or the recharge idea is, I think about when we observe things like the recently released footage... Yeah of the jellyfish UAP that Jeremy Corbell shared with the public um, a couple of weeks ago for the first time.
1: Yeah, that's brand new. That thing is bonkers looking.
0: And you don't see it in the footage, but it's it's captured like flying
1: through It's in Iraq and it's flying over a military installation that is like highly guarded.
0: Right. It's a US military installation. Yeah, and And then Corbell says that he has seen the additional footage, but he doesn't have it to release at this point.
1: Yeah, it hasn't been declassified or there's a there's a process that he has to go through in order to release these videos as to not get in trouble.
0: Right. So this apparently kind of fly floats through this
1: It's just right over this base A heavily guarded base and at then night
0: drops down into the water mm-hmm. for about 15 minutes and then shoots back out of the water.
1: Yeah. At incredible speed.
0: Yeah. So why did it, it go into the water?
1: Right. But that's really interesting. The, the, and what can it do in 15
0: minutes in the water?
1: The, What's it the, doing? The course of events that happen where it's kind of floating over this base. The whole thing is, uh filmed in infrared Mm -hmm. and it's at night but according to the way that this specific scope works that they're filming this thing on uh it picks up heat signatures and so as it's floating over this base you see it go bright white and then dark black which means that it's getting hot and cold it's phasing back and forth between being extremely hot extremes. yeah yeah and it's not moving all that fast
0: Right. It's just, Over this
1: thing. Yes, yeah. Very slowly.
0: So almost would you think that it's in some type of distress?
1: Maybe distress. Like
0: malfunctioning? Yeah. It's not going quickly through this area where you'd think, you know, it would be moving quickly? Yeah. Um, but then we've got the water, the thing where it's dropping in the water. And then another similarity through all of these reports, plus more, plus mm-hmm. a plethora we have not even touched on. Are, these are near military
1: uh-huh.
0: um, operations, yeah. military bases, um, s- you know, strategic places yeah. for military operations. Um, so that's really interesting, too. And we've talked about that before, where there have been a lot of reports of UAP sightings near nuclear sites and mm-hmm. military bases. Yep. We haven't done a full deep dive into it, but it is very clear that that is sort of a regular thing. And so with all of these reports we've talked about today, it's the same thing.
1: Yeah, they all have very similar accounts and circumstances surrounding how they're they're witnessed
0: well, and then looping back to the very first thing we talked about in this episode, sort of our main thing with the operation mainbrace that was a huge military operation mm-hmm. following only a few years after the ending of World War two
1: yeah
0: um, and it has been theorized that if these are extraterrestrials or even you know the whole Theory of it being us from the future, yeah, and why these craft are in and around nuclear sites and war zones is to keep an eye on like what the hell we're doing, yeah, to make sure our finger is not on the the button right. of the nukes. And so, what would they think as observers right after World War II ends when eighty thousand? military personnel are all found in the same location carrying out this military exercise. Right. Because it was multiple countries. It's NATO. Yeah. And they're like, well let's let's do these basically war games essentially, but Mm -hmm. what would that look like to an observer who is not privy to that information that it's it is a drill.
1: Yeah. That's alarming looking you'd think they'd be from outside
0: and They would come around and be like, we need to get eyes on this. Yeah. And then...
1: What are these silly humans doing now? Right. Yeah.
0: And they were spotted observing.
1: Yeah. So, we're getting towards the end here. Yeah. We're just wrapping it up. But, because it doesn't specifically fit with our next episode, I just want to drop it in that the USS Nimitz incident... Dave Fravor talks about and he doesn't talk about it in every recount of the the incident happening but he talks about a sort of cross-shaped object that is under the water but like he could see it from his plane so Hmm. it was close enough to the surface
0: and was it vibrating it was
1: it was no the the uh tic-tac was like ping-ponging over the top of it back and forth i
0: thought that the water was also like and it was making the vibrating
1: making the water all frothy okay because that that
0: has been mentioned in multiple sightings in florida and near cuba as well and that is one that we are going to dive into um okay not next time but pretty soon
1: yeah is is that
0: like light under the water and Mm -hmm. like the vibrating of the surface of the water
1: that's wild really interesting
0: Very cool. Well, there's a lot going on here pretty soon. We are going to be um, speakers at the Oregon Ghost Conference here next month.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: We are heading out of town to check out a Josh Gates lecture here in a couple of weeks. And hopefully we'll also check out uh, the Whaley House because we will be in San Diego. Yeah. um, Where a lot of these USO sightings have also happened. Yeah. Maybe we'll get lucky.
1: Maybe. Finally. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you are inclined to reach out to us or listen to past episodes or grab some merch, you can find us at FrightLifeParanormal.com. Um, and there you'll find links to all of our social medias, past episodes. You can kind of see what we're up to. and um,
0: You'll definitely want to check out our Valentine Day bundle we have going on right now. Um, Get it ASAP so that we can send it out to you in time for Valentine's Day. It is Houdini themed. Um, Like, you've got my heart on lock is the sort of thing. You'll get a Valentine card specially designed by Joss Rose of Fright Life. um, A cute little pink uh, handcuff keychain and a Houdini Mm t-shirt that has the special code that Houdini gave his wife Bess um, and said he would repeat that in a seance uh, from beyond the grave if he could indeed communicate after death so we thought that was a really cool idea for Valentine's Day Um, get that from our website uh, or our links on Instagram Mm -hmm. and we hope you've had a frightful time with us here at Fright Life a paranormal podcast
1: thanks so much for listening you guys we'll see you next time